Hello and welcome to episode 27 of my Leaders of the American Civil War podcast. In this episode, we continue our discussion of General Thomas J. Stonewall Jackson. Now, we left off in episode 26 right in the middle of Jackson's Valley campaign. However, in this episode, we'll take a momentary break in the action and step back a bit. We'll talk instead about Jackson's background, his childhood, and his upbringing. Now, throughout life, Thomas Jackson's closest friend had always been his sister, Laura. However, by the end of Jackson's life in May 1863 at the Battle of Chancellorsville, they indeed were estranged. This is due to his decision to side with the Confederate secession, even though they had both been raised in uh, Union-friendly Western Virginia. Now, they were born into very modest circumstances, to say the least, in Clarksburg, Virginia. Clarksburg is a river junction town in the uh, mountains of what is now West Virginia. Their father, Jonathan Jackson, was a failed country lawyer, a poor businessman, and a compulsive gambler who ran up huge debts. Their mother was Julia Neal, and she was from Parkersburg on the Ohio River. She was described by contemporaries as very intelligent, comely, and graceful, with a commanding presence. After their marriage in 1817, Jonathan and Julia had three children, Elizabeth, Warren, and Thomas, and continued to struggle financially. Thomas was born in 1824. Now, while Julia was pregnant with Thomas's sister, Laura, their father, Jonathan, died of typhoid along with Elizabeth, their oldest child. Now, Julia was alone and destitute, raising two small children and the infant Laura. Soon, she had to accept charity from the local Masonic order, which provided her with the use of a 12-foot square one-room house. She sewed and she taught school to make ends meet. And the children indeed made pitiful sights for the local townspeople in their rags. In 1830, when Thomas was six, his mother Julia remarried a man that was 16 years her senior named uh, Blake Woodson. This was a big mistake. Woodson was also a broke country lawyer, and he had eight children himself scattered in various places. He was abusive to Julia's little family, and he was also in debt. Soon he moved the family just south of Charleston to what is now Anstead, West Virginia, and Julia became pregnant again. By 1831, Julia decided she had no choice but to send her children away to live with relatives because she could no longer look after them. So seven-year-old Thomas and five-year-old Laura went to live with a collection of Jackson's relatives at a place called Jackson's Mill, which was near the town of Weston. Julia died later that year, which left the brother and sister orphans in the care of their six bachelor uncles at Jackson's Mill. The chief bachelor was the 29-year-old Cummins Jackson. Yes, that's Cummins, just like the diesel engine. And he was a boisterous and successful local businessman who was kind and compassionate to the two children. In fact, all the various aunts and uncles who lived at the compound at Jackson's Mill were kind to them as well. They turned out, this turned out to be a wonderful place for Thomas and Laura to grow up. Young Tom drove oxen, tended cattle and sheep, chopped wood, raced horses, and helped with the harvest. He was quiet, shy, serious, and hardworking. 
He wasn't exceptional, and Cummins thought Tom to be uh, the least bright of his siblings. Unfortunately, later when the two maiden aunts uh, living at the compound married and left, Thomas and Laura were sent away separately to live with their relatives. Now, Thomas hated the new arrangement because he was mistreated there. So he ran away, and he ran back to Jackson's Mill, where his uncle Cummins welcomed him back. And he spent the rest of his childhood there, going to school and working at various jobs, such as surveying, teaching school, and serving warrants as the constable of Lewis County. His childhood and his status as an orphan weren't particularly unusual for the times. This is because outbreaks of typhoid fever, yellow fever, and smallpox were unfortunately ever-present in the country. These ailments commonly destroyed families and left children without parents. Now, Thomas and his two siblings, even though they were spread out, they saw each other periodically. And, unfortunately, when Warren died of TB at 17, Thomas and Laura were all that remained of the original Jackson family. Thomas and Laura remained close, and they wrote each other very often. Laura married well and lived a prosperous life with her husband, Jonathan Arnold, who was 24 years her senior. Together they had four children, the oldest of which they named after her uh, brother Tom. Jackson loved them all and visited them often as a doting uncle during the ten years he lived in Lexington, Virginia at the faculty of VMI. Their letters were full of references to the blessings they had received from God and were upbeat and optimistic. One such letter Thomas wrote on April 15, 1853 uh, to Laura from VMI. This letter had a playful tone that sounds nothing like the Stonewall Jackson we know later. Dear sister, our spring is opening beautifully, though it is said to be late. I wish that I could be with you this evening. Ah, not this evening only, but many evenings. I am invited to a large party tonight, and among the scramble, expect to come in for my share of fun. Now, the notion of Jackson scrambling for, quote, his share of fun, end quote, at a party would have seemed implausible and ridiculous to anybody who knew him. What accounted for this sudden exuberance, though, was that he was in love, though he wasn't ready yet to tell his sister Laura. In fact, he was engaged, though no one else knew it. The courtship had happened quickly. After moving to Lexington, uh, Jackson had met one of the town's great eminences, uh, Reverend Dr. George Junkin, the president of Washington College. Yes, this is the same Washington College uh, founded by George Washington. It would eventually be renamed Washington and Lee in honor of later college president Robert E. Lee. Now, Junkin had eight children, one of whom was Eleanor, known as Ellie. She was a spirited, devout, irreverent uh, person and a year younger than Jackson. But she was still living uh, at the Junkin home. Now, Thomas had met Ellie on an earlier visit, and they both uh, began teaching Sunday school together at the Presbyterian Church, after which they fell in love. The chestnut-haired Ellie was, in most ways, uh, Jackson's opposite. She was outgoing, had a great sense of humor, and would tease the stern Major Jackson about his strange behavior. 
Just as important, she was deeply religious, more so even than Jackson himself, if you can believe that. Soon it was apparent to everyone that Jackson was seeking Ellie's hand. Now, Jackson was solemn and ungraceful, and Ellie was outgoing and extroverted. Their uh, friends and family could not possibly see their match, but indeed they were a match. So Thomas and Ellie were married at sundown on August the 4th, 1863, by Dr. Junkin, her father, in a modest ceremony in the parlor of the president's mansion at Washington College. By the time the rest of the town found out, to its amazement, that Major Jackson was married, he, he was already off on his honeymoon with his bride. They were very much in love and were soon expecting a baby. Tragically, however, in November of 1864, Ellie died in childbirth, and their child, a son, was still born. In a letter to his sister Laura, written a day later, he revealed much about his nature and his religious fervor. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It is his will that my dearest wife and child should no longer abide with me, and as it is his holy will, I am perfectly reconciled to the sad bereavement, though I deeply mourn my loss. My dearest Ellie breathed her last on Sunday evening, the same day on which the child was born dead. Oh, the consolation of religion! I can willingly submit to anything if God strengthens me. Oh, my sister, would that you could have him for your own God. Though all nature to me is eclipsed, yet I have joy in knowing that God withholds no good things from them that love and keep his commandments. Jackson mourned the death of his beloved wife intensely and eventually became close to his Ellie, uh, to Ellie's sister Maggie, who was also deeply saddened by the loss. It was believed the two might actually be starting a romance, but this would have been strictly forbidden by the Presbyterian Church. Eventually, Maggie would leave the area and Jackson would embark on a trip to Europe in the summer of 1856. Jackson wanted to get away and so secured a leave of absence from VMI. And on July 9th, 1856, he made a solitary three-month tour of the European continent. Now, during this trip, his intensity, thoroughness, and rigor were on full display. Pushing himself 16 hours a day, he covered an astonishing amount of ground really fast. Upon arriving in Great Britain, he visited seven cities while there, then three cities in Belgium, nine cities in Italy, four in France, four in Germany, three in Austria, and four in Switzerland. He kept travel diaries. He hiked in the mountains. He later wrote in rapturous terms of, quote, romantic lakes and mountains of Scotland, the imposing abbeys and cathedrals of England, the Rhine with its palisaded banks and luxuriant vineyards, the sublime scenery of Switzerland, the sculpture and painting of Italy, end quote. If his plan was to finally put his grief behind him, Jackson succeeded. When he returned to teach at VMI in October, the crippling sadness he had felt was gone. In December 1856, Jackson traveled to Charlotte, North Carolina, 
to call on Miss Mary Ann Morrison, with whom he had spent time in uh, Lexington a few years before. She had been visiting her sister Isabella, who was married to Jackson's old friend Harvey Hill, otherwise known as D.H. Hill. She was called Anna by her friends, and she was 25, seven years younger than Jackson. She was slender, brunette, and attractive. She was also intelligent, religiously pious, and refined. She was the daughter of Dr. Robert Hall Morrison, who had founded Davidson College and now served as pastor of three country churches. Clearly, Jackson had a thing for preacher's daughters. On July 16, 1857, Anna and Major Tom were married at her home in North Carolina. Jackson quickly settled into a happy domestic life with Anna. They bought a house, which immediately became the center of their lives. The house was a simple two-story brick uh, structure in downtown Lexington. The Presbyterian Church was a block away, and VMI was a 10-minute walk. Now, Jackson's daily domestic routine began at 6 a.m. with prayers and a cold bath, even even if the weather was freezing. He taught class from 8 a.m. until 11 a.m., then returned home and studied the Bible and his uh, class lessons until 1 1 p.m. when it was time for his midday meal, followed by, by 30 minutes or more of leisure time. Very structured. In the afternoon, he would work in the garden or ride with Anna out to a uh, 20-acre farm he had purchased outside of of town. Now, in addition to a satisfying home life, Jackson was also starting to accumulate wealth. In fact, he had made a number of shrewd investments. He had purchased shares in the Lexington Savings Bank. Soon, he had made a good return on that investment and also became a director of the bank. He also invested in the Lexington Building Fund Foundation, and in 1860, he made his last big investment. Along with his partners, he bought a leather tannery. Jackson would make a large return on all of these investments. And Jackson also owned human property in the form of six enslaved people. He had bought three slaves on his own accord, and another three were given to him as a wedding present. It is also known, well known that Jackson started, financed, and ran a Sunday school for black people in Lexington. He received uh, considerable pushback by many of the locals, but of course he would not be deterred. Jackson proceeded anyway and soon had 80 to 100 enslaved people in attendance at the Lexington Colored Sabbath School. The school was entirely his own creation. He organized it, he recruited students, as well as a dozen uh, teaching assistants. Still, not all Lexington residents liked the idea of the school. And it happened to be against the law in Virginia for whites to teach blacks to read and write. Perhaps you remember that from our um, General Thomas episodes. When confronted on this legal issue by a local attorney who threatened to take him to a grand jury, Jackson responded, quote, Sir, if you were, as you should be, a Christian man, you would not think it or say so, end quote. Well, the school was not shut down, and in fact it continued to operate for 30 more years, long after Jackson's passing in 1863. Now join me next time in episode 28, in which we will continue Jackson's storied valley campaign. <laughs>